That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All right, all right. All I think right. We, we got it. So I'm here with my good friend, Matthew Reynolds, who has spent many years in Hollywood as a development executive. His most recent credit, I believe, was an associate producer on a uh, film on Netflix called The Highwayman. Um, but as we talked about off, off camera or off, off recording, whatever the phrase is, um, you know, titles are less important uh, than what is it you do and how you do it and the experiences you have. And so with that in mind, I'm sure there are a lot of folks out there who may not know what a development executive is. And I think everybody has a different uh, explanation of that. In, a, in general terms, are there specific things that tasks or duties that, that a development executives do? You know, like can you, can you paint a picture of what it is that people in your position do? Well, a development executive is tasked with seeking out material that would make for a good movie or a TV series. Uh, it involves reading more scripts than you ever thought you would want or be able to read. Uh, it involves looking at books and looking at magazine articles and kind of keeping your antenna out there for uh, any and every idea that uh, you think might work uh, as a piece of popular entertainment. So you said you read more scripts uh, than, than you said was it humanly possible is what you put it? Well, you, you just have to, um, I guess you have to enjoy reading because it means you have to read a lot. and. You know, like they say, you need 10,000 hours to uh, to master something. And I think you need to read about 10,000 scripts to really get a feel for, um, you know, what's a good script, what's a professional script. And the other thing that a development person often has to do is it's not just about figuring out which of these 10 great scripts by professional writers would work because they're all going to be good, but it's also in... It involves reading material from people who are at various stages of their own professional process. And you'll get a lot of talk like, well, you know, I need you to read more than just the first few pages. Yeah, I need you to read the whole thing to see how good it is. And you begin to develop a knack for understanding the professional quality of a piece of material. And you'll be able to figure it out in just the first couple of pages, but it takes a long time to do that. And I don't know if I can tell when I felt confident that I had read enough to really know uh, what makes a good script, but it involves, you know, putting in a lot of hours and a lot of time. And if somebody wants to do it or wants to get involved, I would say, and it's terrible to say this, but you can't read enough scripts. You've got to try to read it as, as many as you can, especially scripts for movies and TV shows that you haven't seen and get used to uh, seeing what it looks like on the page uh, first and foremost. You know, it reminds me a little bit of, maybe this isn't the best allegory, but it's like, like it's hard to teach somebody how to drive if you've been driving forever, because it's just, you don't sit there and think, well, first I move my arm to the right, and then I move my arm to the left and put my foot down, and you just kind of do it. And so, yeah, I think it can be difficult for people to understand what makes a good script and what makes a bad script, or what makes a, even, or just even, not even that, like what makes a script that's, that's viable. And so I guess that's the question is like, do you find that you read scripts that you think are amazing, but that um, you couldn't sell because of this reason or that reason? I know there's a lot of stories about that, but just in general, like, is there a difference between a good script and a script that can sell? As you get further up 
the ladder of material, I would say that those differences are not so great. Uh, you might read a great book that would be difficult to make into a movie because a book has its own ambitions. So you can read a great book, a great historical document, or a, you know, a piece of nonfiction, or even a, a really dense novel and say, that's a great book. I wonder if it would make a great movie. But what goes into a great script, often the writer is attuned enough to what would make a, a good movie as well as a good story, that those two are often intertwined. It's rare, for example, that you'd read a, a script that is really great but has too many locations. Or you read a script that's great, but the subject matter is just too difficult. Uh, usually, it's kind of it's satisfying all those masters at once, a great script is. You know, I read a script about uh, a real-life mobster. And I read two versions. And one was much more realistic than the other. And the one that was very realistic had several years of law enforcement chasing after this very famous mobster. And you could see where it would be a difficult movie to get made because it would require casting a mobster over many years as he gets older and having, you know, at least 10 FBI agents going after him. And then there was a later version of that same script that had a single FBI agent chasing after the mobster. And it was clearly written and and crafted to be a mainstream movie with a mainstream good guy actor and a mainstream bad guy actor. But there was no questioning that the first version, even though it would have been harder to get made, got the ball rolling. And there's an argument to be made that that also could have been a, a great film, but just a little more ambitious and maybe not as, uh, as popular. So I guess that kind of answers that question. Like you said, uh, maybe it contradicts the, the earlier answer. Yeah, there's a, you could read a script that is maybe too complicated or has too many locations, but if the writing is good enough, a lot of times you might read it and say, okay, challenge accepted. Let's do this exactly as they say, because you'll hear about that every once in a while. Oh, we read this script. We said, how on earth can, can you ever make this? But it's so good and so compelling that somebody will give it a try. It's just very unusual for something to be so great that it's utterly unfilmable. Usually if it's not filmable, it's for plenty of other reasons, namely that the, that the script is just not really ready to go. Yeah, and I think the hardest thing for a lot of the folks who, you know, frankly I deal with, don't uh, usually understand how much of a, the, the business side of things is important, but also that how kind of doing projects because they seem interesting and unique and there's uh, kind of like a, some magic to it. You know, there's almost no other investment. You don't like, you know, invest in a house or a business, you know, like a plumbing business because you think it's going to be this earth shattering thing. You do it because you make more money. And so I guess the question for you is, is that do you think that Hollywood, for lack of a better phrase, has become more attuned to making sure that they like have like a return on their investment? Or do you think there's still people out there who are running the, the, the show who um, make movies not with the best, you know, business ideas in mind, but like think they can pull it off because it's an exciting adventure to go on? Well, they are two opposite ends. There are movies that are, you know, clearly, um, I guess, appealing enough and popular enough that they would seem to make a lot of money. And then there's material that is 
not as crowd pleasing, uh, but is maybe, I don't know, intellectually challenging. Um, and, you know, I think at award seasons, when you see movies that are, uh, you know, a little more focused on, on being, I guess, challenging. And in the spring and summer months, it's, it's definitely more crowd pleasing. I don't really subscribe to the notion that movies are not as um, intellectually appealing as they used to be. I do think they need to figure out a return on investment in some ways quicker. But all you have to do is go to any indie movie theater and you'll see that there are dozens of movies released each week that don't fit that criteria. And I'll admit, I'll see some of these and think, how on earth did somebody think, oh, this um, French film is going to for sure uh, make us money back? But it's a different set of equations, and you know I think that there's a people want to make movies, uh, if as much or more so than people want to see them, which is why there are more movies made than any single person can probably see in a given span of time. Uh, I do think that movies are are geared to be more satisfying uh, than maybe they used to be, uh, which has good and bad results. On the one hand, they can seem to be pandering, but on the other hand, um, you know, maybe in their own way, uh, they're more entertaining and more crowd pleasing than. And it's hard hard to speak in general terms like that. You'd have to get into specifics to really uh, to really nail that one. There are there's not a whole lot of good reasons to make certain films, and yet they get made. And then some of the films that like don't have good reasons to be made get made, and they make a million dollars. And some films that you think are like a perfect like you're gonna win that bet doesn't succeed. And so it's such a tricky business. And so from a perspective of like somebody who's like not at the high levels is trying to break in, they always ask like, well, what do you look for in a script or like what's the secret of success? And I, I think it's, I've always been, I've never been able to answer that in a very concise way, but is there a science to it? Or are there certain things that people can do to like best practices and improve their chances of getting their script read? Or is it really just like, you know it when you see it? Well, that's a couple different questions. You know, I, I think that the people who are really successful, who are creative, what they're genuinely interested in corresponds to what people want to see. They're not bending over backwards to do it. Uh, the Beatles made songs that they wanted to hear, and it just so happens that everybody else wanted to hear them too. And I think the same goes for uh, certain screenwriters and directors and filmmakers, the things that interest them just happen to interest everybody else. And the trick for those people is to stay uh, relevant past that point when maybe that correspondence starts to drift a little bit. So it should almost feel instinctive in a way. You know, rather than say, oh, I don't wanna make a movie about a rock band, but I guess I will because I think that's what everyone's looking for you're probably not gonna have much success with that unless you're such a professional that you're able to distance yourself and say, well, I, I think I know how to crack this. But that takes a certain you know, professional level of experience and confidence. And otherwise, it's hard to speak in generalities. You just have to kind of get yourself in the mindset of, well, what do I think people are responding to? And then what's that plus 10%? That way it's not just derivative of what's come before, but it has to kind of feel like it's building on what's come before. 
And you, when you hear that idea in the room or you see it on the page, you, you'll think, oh, I, I totally get it. This is kind of like what we've seen with just a little bit of a twist. It's like going to a restaurant. Most people want to go and eat food that they've, they've a cuisine that they already like, but not that they had just yesterday. And I think that applies to uh, movies and, and TV shows too. It has to be kind of similar, but just you know a little bit more. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I feel I feel like a lot of people they go in thinking that I'm gonna the thing that I am is enough, and the world's gonna love it. And then when you don't get the positive feedback you're looking for, or the success you're looking for. You say to yourself, all right, I want to I want to get in. And so I'm going to change my script or change my idea or change my look, or whatever it is. But like they conform because the pull to try to be part of the industry is so strong. And for me, in my perspective, I think you just have to go. You have to hone who you are, but not deviate from who you are because you can't not to sound like a fortune cookie, but you can't be somebody you're not. Right. So, I mean, do you find that like. There are some writers who you know, like this is like their heart and soul, and some writers that, you know, I guess you kind of answered it, but like who you can tell aren't really passionate about what they're writing, but they they think it'll it'll happen because you gave good advice. But do you ever come across people who aren't fully passionate about what they're trying to create? Well, I've come across people who are maybe underconfident, and they're not, you know, they're 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 second guessing themselves. But usually, they don't have the script they're handing me; they're just talking about the script they want to do. Right. And if they've got it done and it's ready to go, that's a little bit different. And then fortunately, there's just a big swath of people who they want to do it and they've done it. They've written the script and from 10 feet away, back when you used to print it out, it looks like a real script and then you start getting into it and it just doesn't quite work. And, you know, it's it's hard to, it's hard to speak in, in generalities about that. I guess the, the biggest advice I would give to anyone who is thinking about devoting the time and energy to writing a script is you need to look at it like taking up golf. So if you're taking up golf to become a professional golfer, it's probably not going to happen this year. You should, you should take up golf because you like to play golf. And who knows, maybe in a few years you'll be good enough that you can make a few bucks at it. It's unlikely. And I think you almost have to look at it like that at a certain point in your life, but that's what writing is like. So instead of spending 500 hours or whatever boating or building model ships or playing golf, you devote this time to writing something because uh, the odds are that it, it may not work out, but you have to enjoy the process. The process has to be its own reward because it's going to take a lot of hours and a lot of energy. And if the whole time you're doing it, you're saying, this better pay off, this better pay off. You know, it may seem like it's good to keep your eye on the goal, but you're probably not going to invest it with that level of, of passion that would be required. And after all that time, like I said, it may not work. But it might. It might work out. Yeah. And, but that, it has to be its own reward. Now, that's if you're already doing something else. If you've already kind of started another job and it's, it's just something that's kind of nagging at you. You know, you've got to write it for yourself first. Now, if it's, you're young enough that you're still seeing this as a career and you haven't embarked on another one, then I think you have to treat it almost like, you know, you're going into med school where you're, you're serious enough about it that you're going to dedicate your time to it and, you know, really give it your all, I guess, and and be thinking in terms of how you're gonna get it out there. You know, I think really, 
I, I've just heard it said before that you know half the screenwriting majors at the major colleges here already have an agent or they know somebody in the business school who wants to be an agent and they're taking it seriously enough like that but again these are all kind of generalities well I th and I think though there's a place there's time and place for generalities so for me the two things that I thought I thought of when you were talking just now is so I've heard a lot of stories about the 10,000 hours and you know, like Magic Johnson would shoot free throws when it was like freezing cold out and it was raining out. And the one that really hit me though, <laughs> frankly, was I saw a documentary on DJ AM and he would just, he would DJ all the time. And like that kind of hit me in a strange way just because I was like, well, how intense about DJ can you be? And so, but the point is like when I look at the people who are really good at what they do, it's, it's more than 10,000 hour, 10, hours. It's that they, they put every kind of waking piece of energy they have into it, not just because they want to do it, because they love it. And that it's like a dance. Like the, the amount of love that you have makes you better at it, makes you better, better at it, gets you more attention. You know, the, but no, nobody who's really a master, or nobody I know of who's, done a master, uh, who's a master or something, does it just for the sake of doing it. And the second thing that I thought you, uh, you said it was interesting is I've had so many uh, people in my life who their goal is not to become a writer but to sell a script so like they don't they don't understand why you have to have four screenplays like that's the rule that you see in the books like you should have four screenplays to show your representation and the bottom line is that there's this attitude that i just need to write one because it's the story that i want to tell and that's much more of like a personal thing rather than business which is like no like you have to show that you're a writer by trade and i guess the question is have you ever found anybody in your travels who is um, that good of a writer that their first script was like a, a you know just hit it, hit the ball out of the park. Well, I don't know if it's their first script or not. It maybe just be their first script that they went out with. Yeah. But you have to write your first script so you can write your second one, and you have to write your second one so you can write your third one, and down the line will be probably the one that gets uh, gets the attention, and maybe it'll go back and rewrite that first one when you learn how to do it. Uh, but the other thing you have to do is you have to move to L.A. or move to New York. I think you have to be in the mix of that world uh, because it means developing a relationship. It's not like you know selling a product and then you're walking away. So you're wanting to forge relationships. And it's just unlikely that you'll forge a relationship if you've uh, written a script about a helicopter pilot and you live in Minnesota. You need to be in LA to take the meetings and to meet people and to get everything started. And once you get rolling, then you can move away. Then you can you, then you can go anywhere basically, because they'll be chasing after you. But I think you know a big piece of advice is you kind of have to go to where the action is, and the idea that you can split the difference and write your script wherever you're at, and then try to, you know, call and sell it over the telephone. The the most you'll likely get is a polite conversation. Uh, and you might get your script ready, but probably not, because there's just too much of a risk involved that even if your idea is vaguely similar to something else that somebody else has going on, that they can't run the risk that someone who's not well-versed and connected in the industry uh, will be able to uh, manage the coincidence that two things are going that are somewhat similar. So then let me ask you this. So let's just say that you have a property, either that you purchased from someone else or you've written yourself and you don't necessarily have access to big investors or um, like direct access to 
a studio system uh, like I know Dave, he's the president. Like if you don't have that, like how does one get started if they have a script or they feel it's good, they feel it's strong? Like how do you put together uh, a project or like someone starting out? I don't mean like someone at your level or you know uh, you know Marvel movies, but like someone just starting out if they're trying to put together a project. Is there any best practices or suggestions you can offer folks? Well, as Steve Martin said, you've got to make it so good that people can't not pay attention to it. And that's a tall order. And if you're that good, you've got plenty that you've done. You've got your suitcase full or your briefcase full of, you know, the three or four or whatever. And you have to move to the place, you know, you have to move to one of the coasts. And you know, one way or another, you you have to start meeting people and being and, and be willing to, you know, get your script read by whomever you can. And there's no precise way to do it. Uh, unlike the publishing industry, where you can submit manuscripts, um, and which is a, a business that I, I guess I don't know that much about either. Um, but there's a, I feel like there's more of a, of a pipeline for that. Uh, yeah, to some degree, it's it's kind of who you know and, and getting your script out there. And it means getting a lot of rejections at the start. You know, there's no precise way to do it. Uh, but it's like you wake up every day and you kind of start thinking, all right, who, who can I get to read this today? And the, the crazy irony is in a business where it's people's jobs to read material, it's hard to get it read. It's hard to get it read in a timely fashion because there's always something new coming in from someone who's more established, who, who fought their way up already. And most of these people did have to kind of fight their way in or fight their way up one way or another. And if you're confident enough in what you've written, you'll make a the dozens and dozens of phone calls. And I'm telling you, it's a lot easier to make those calls if you're here in LA, where we're at right now, recording this, or if you're in New York, than to take somebody's call who's out of state. I guess I can't phrase that enough because you're just not likely, you're not getting the osmosis that you'll need by, by living in the place where all of the action is taking place. And it's going to be hard for someone to be willing to invest the time. And it's going to be very easy for people to say no to you. Yep. And you got to make it harder for them to say no. And if you live in Silver Lake or if you live, you know, even any place remotely around Los Angeles, it's going to be a lot easier for you. You're going to take that reason for them to say no uh, off the plate. And are there things that you... Um either things that you that you think are a through line of the really strong scripts that you see that people could be like, oh, make sure it's like this. Or there's things that you see that are just like, like you see that and you're like, I'm definitely not going to read the script at this point or I'm not going to move on because this, it reveals who, what, who the writer is and their level. Are there things that people can avoid or people that things that people can do to increase their chances like in the writing of the script? Well, it's hard to speak in a general term like that. I mean, I appreciate the question, but it's hard to, to, to imagine that. Uh, I will admit that most bad scripts make the same mistakes in a way. You know, you'll kind of learn by doing. 
you need to read so many scripts that you know how to write it. That you just kind of know what the language is. That you kind of know how to how to lure a reader in and and uh, and keep them intrigued. Uh, but I, you know, it's hard to say. You know, make sure your script starts this way or, or does that. <laughs> or just but it's, it's, a, it's a legitimate question, but it's it's hard to do. It's easier to look at a script and say, "Here's where I think you're going wrong." It's harder to imagine um, a mistake that somebody might make. And I think that people are more sophisticated now than they used to be. I think there's a lot more information available online, and in a way, uh, you know. People are, are understanding those the shortcuts better, um, which is good for them. But it's still hard to 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 find that 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 perfect piece of material that really shows uh, promise. And even in a single individual, sometimes there's an individual I know right now who I read their first three things and thought they were okay, but on their fourth, I couldn't believe it and it knocked my socks off. And I thought, wow, that's this person has come around. I think this person really has what it takes. And it kind of helps that. I'd already known that they were industrious enough to have done those those others, but it really wasn't until that fourth one. And, you know, it's a unique situation in that I kept reading that person's uh, material. That's kind of unusual. Too. And so for you, uh, I'm going to switch a little gears here, but when you moved to L.A., was there was it just something you always knew you were going to do? Was it was it like there's some movies that made you want to become, be in the film industry? Or was it just... You know, happenstance. Like, how did you make it here? Well, I lived in the Midwest, and I was a journalist for a while there, and had always uh, thought that I needed to move to Los Angeles to be a part of things. And I was fortunate enough to t to take a um, like a summer class at UCLA while I was in college to kind of introduce me to everything. Uh, but this was a you know at a time when there wasn't a lot of mobility, and where I was from, it was very unusual to pick up and and move across country. And in some ways, that was, you know, that weeded a lot of people out, I think, who weren't quite willing to commit to that. Um, but on the other hand, it took, took so much out of you just to move. And then there's the adjustment period. Some people adjust very quickly and other people, you kind of have to settle in. And you're not quite sure what to expect when you get here. And you you start to begin to understand, you know, the different levels of, the stair steps in the process where you might have a little bit of luck right out of the gate and think, oh, this is going to be easy. And then you stall out for a couple of years. And it's hard to meet people uh, in some ways, although I think people are in general uh, nicer than you might expect. And I think you'll have people who are willing to give you advice but are not able to provide actual help. That's the hardest thing. You think, well, gee, I know somebody who's a casting agent here or someone who is a is a development executive there why don't they really give me help but it's it's hard enough just to do things on their own everything is a one-off and it's hard to call in favors for somebody else because there's only so many of those um, you can do and most of the time people will want to help you but they just won't really be able to outside of giving you advice and you kind of have to uh, figure things out on your own and it takes being here for a few months or even a year or so to figure out how all that goes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, what you're hitting on the head is that the way I look at it is like if you provide value, then it's, it's not, and that's a very abstract term, a very nebulous term, but if the bottom line is that it's hard for anybody, yourself included, to give anyone else a favor because 
like you, that means you, know, you have to have someone who owes you a favor, right? Like, so I think that, I think the trick is you need to find somebody who is, you know, you can help somebody who's at your level who has, you know, if you need salt and they've got pepper, then you can, you know, make things happen. But if you were like not even at the table, it's hard to anybody to help you because if someone came to you and asked for help, you wouldn't be able to help them either because, you know, the, the bottom line is you have to be at the same, they have to provide value in order to um, have anybody be able to quote unquote help you. And so I guess the, you know, that wasn't so much of a question, it's more of like a response. Uh, but my next question is, I imagine your perspective on the business and Hollywood and the move out here has changed over time. But has your passion or your like interest in the in the business changed or evolved over time? Or is it still the same as it was? No, I, I think it's still the same. Um, you know, maturity helps a little bit. And, you know, it helps out with your focus, at least it does with me. And, uh, you know, you begin to see it as, as you get older and you uh, build more of a personal life, or if you have a family, you begin to realize that, uh, you know, it has to function as a job. It can't just be kind of um, a lifestyle. You have to find a way to make it work economically and feasibly uh, and all that. And, you know, the business has changed a little bit. It's a lot more tech oriented than it used to be. And it's a lot more family friendly than I think it used to be. And it's settled down, I think, in some ways. Um, all the streaming services have, in a way, stabilized things uh, compared to uh, the studio system where it was seemed like more of a free-for-all and, you know, uh, a little harder to, to manage and predict compared to what it is now. When you were, when you first came here, did you, you know, just to put it this way, did you think you'd end up where you are now? Or do you think that, you know, you'd, you'd be doing something else? Or like, has this trajectory you've been on been what you expected? I don't know. I think everybody comes out here hoping that they'll be at the very top. And, and but it's, it's one of those things that as you go along, you appreciate what, you, what you've accomplished and who you've met more. And so it's a constantly adjusting thing. So you might have your 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 sight set on Pluto when you first take off, but when you only get to Mars, you're so much more grateful and appreciative than you would have been at the time that your perspective adjusts. You know, you, you always want to still feel like there's a lot, that your best work is ahead of you, um, but you try to be, you know, appreciative of what's, uh, of what's passed and, and the time flies. So it's, it's kind of a strange existential uh, <laughs> question to consider and to, and to look back on. Well, I'll have to ask you again for our next podcast, but our time's just about up. So I want to once again, thank my guest, Matthew Reynolds for his time and attention and insight. And so until next time, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks, Jen.